Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes the bottom line. Success is equated with excess. This is Care for My Wealth. With Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. This is Care for My Wealth right here on Fox Sports 1070 to the game. Join this morning as we are every Saturday morning by Chris Klein. Of course, Chris comes to us from Capstone Wealth Management. You can learn more about Chris and the team at Capstone Wealth Management, their go-anywhere strategy, all on the website, careformywealth.com. That's all one word, careformywealth.com. Great website and great resource. Also, you can follow Chris on Twitter or X, if you if you may, uh, at careformywealth. Email info at careformywealth.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at careformywealth.com. And the telephone number, 866-596-9886. Chris, you ever have that where you have other numbers in your head and you're like, wait, no, that doesn't sound right. 9886 <laughs> is where we're going. How you doing, my friend? <laughs> uh, I'm good. Yeah, it happens all the time. Trust me. Yes. <laughs> Ask me my telephone number from sixth grade. I'll have it for you right at the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah, what's your number? Yeah. Uh, pound two. Yes. I don't I, I don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's 866-596-9886. And Chris, let's, um, let's kick off. I mean, it's obviously for folks that don't know this week, um, we are pre-recording the show, so we actually haven't seen markets closed for Friday quite yet at the time of this recording. But depending on how they closed, it could have a pretty profound effect on kind of that struggle between the bulls and the bears and and whether it's uh, long term or short term in one case and what kind of the outcome is. What are we looking for as as we're getting ready to kind of eyeballing Monday morning? Yeah, those are really good questions. And you're right. Um, you know, it's always a struggle doing a, a podcast like this without all of the information for the week. And the close on a Friday is always super valuable. Um, it gives you an indication of what both bulls and bears might be thinking heading into the weekend. Now, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that midday markets are unsure. Okay. Markets are stressed, but unsure. There's a few things that are existing right now that are more likely than not, at least as of right now, giving the bears the upper hand um, comparative to what the bulls may want. And so one of the biggest components of that is negative gamma. And I've talked a little bit before about how gamma, a function of the options market, uh, is important for dealers and how they position themselves in terms of buying or selling the underlying asset base if someone in the market, a big big traders uh, are buying or selling put options, which mm. put options are those kinds of things that you would own if you think the market's going to go down. Call options are those things that you would own if you think the market's going to go up. 
Long story short is that if the market's in negative gamma, it just simply means there's a higher probability of higher volatility. That's really all that means. But volatility works in both ways, right? Volatility works to the upside. Volatility works to the downside. It just tends to happen that when you happen to have negative gamma, markets do tend to have this, this, this magnetic pull a little bit lower. So we don't know how that's going to play out. But here's what I can say with regards to what took place on Friday. You mm -hmm. had the Jackson Hole speech, right? Yes. Uh, Fed Chair Powell and his cronies are out having a powwow in Jackson Hole. And everybody was just hanging on every word he had to say, which frankly drives me nuts to think how deluded our markets have become to hang on the words of just one man in the world. But nevertheless, that's where we're at. And, and in that speech, basically, he said a couple of things that I think were very important, and markets responded to it almost instantly. The first thing he said is that, hey, look, the Fed's got a 2% inter or, or, uh, inflation target, and we're not changing. Now, why is that important? Because lots and lots and lots of people on Wall Street have been pounding the table, trying to change the narrative that the Fed should change their target to 3%, as if Powell's just going to start magically listening to what they have to say. Sometimes he does. They have to admit there are, there are instances where he kowtows to Wall Street. So Wall Street was trying to push that narrative over the past week heading into this Jackson Hole meeting. And he basically just sledgehammered them and said, nope, our target's 2%. Next. That was an important statement. All right. Mm -hmm. The next thing that he said that I think was also very, very important is that for us to get inflation down, We've got to have softer labor markets. Well, what's that mean? Higher unemployment. That's what that means. Now, we've said for a long time, you don't tend to see bottoms in bear markets until the unemployment rate starts breaching that 5% level. And you know that you're likely headed there once you start seeing weekly jobless claims breaching that 300,000 mark level. Well, we've got neither of those so far, right? And so, Lots of people will ask, you know, all the time, you know, how do you know it's not a bottom? Look at the market bottomed in October and it went straight up and, 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 and bears are just getting clobbered. And, and I'm like, look, the cycle takes time to cycle out. It takes time to play out. And if you want to get in front of it in the midst of a bear market rally where markets are trending bearish, even though it is, of course, positive year to date, it's easy to get run over. And we're literally at the precipice of those kinds of things right now. We don't have initial jobless claims being reported each week, 300,000 plus. This week, they came out at 230,000. All right, great. People look at that and say, it's getting stronger because it went down. The previous uh, uh, number was 240,000. Yeah, you're right. But that doesn't mean that that's something markets will use to bottom off of when Powell comes out and says, if we're going to get inflation down, labor markets have got to get softer. That's not something that is a good thing for a healthy economy, right? He also said that above trend growth, now remember last week, we've got the Atlanta Fed coming out and saying, we're looking for 5.8% GDP. Yeah. And I said, I don't think that's going to happen. But let's assume for a moment that it did, right? He made it really clear that above trend growth is going to absolutely warrant more rate hikes. Now, what's the market say? Well, as soon as he got done speaking, 
two things happened. Three-month Treasury yields went up. Two-year Treasury yields went up. Okay, that's the bond market saying, yep, they're not done. Yep, inflation's not under control. We're just going to cause bond prices to go down by yields pushing higher. And that's what happened. All right. The next thing that happened is that the yield curve got more deeply inverted because the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield actually dropped a little bit. Huh, how hmm. about that? 30-year Treasury dropped a little bit too. Everybody says, oh, well, that's great. No, not so much. That's inverting the yield curve more deeply. That's not a good thing in terms of the health of financials. And financials in any market is a very, very, very important component of the entire market. Another thing that happened is that the bank sector index, KBW bank sector index is a good tracker for this, symbol BKX. It went down about 1% as soon as he was done talking. Just Ooh. bloop. Markets sold off as soon as he was done talking. When I say markets, I mean the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000, all right? That kind of action right after a conversation that everybody's been hinging on is probably not something that the bulls wanted to see. We've been talking with my trade team that, hey, look, if S&P futures continue to drift below 4,400, that's a pretty important level. And it could drive markets down harder from there, especially when we're inside a bear market trend alongside negative gamma. Midday, futures are still below 4,400 at 4,391. Now, why is that important? Because it's sitting literally right at trend. Uh, it's like sitting on the edge of a, of, a, of a cliff, looking down, going, man, that river looks awesome, <laughs> and trying to decide if I should jump or get off. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what the market is acting like, right? Mm. We also had, as I thought we would, get people, oh, it's exciting. We should buy high-yield bonds. Um, no. When real interest rates get up to these levels, I've talked about this before, Real interest rates rising creates an environment that things break. And I've talked over the last couple of weeks how real interest rates have gotten up to levels that we haven't seen since 2007, 2008, and in fact, the time in which Lehman Brothers blew up. Hmm. I have no idea if we're going to see another major environment that could be a credit event. I tend to think that this bear market isn't over until we see some type of a major credit event. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like other than something blows up. And when you get interest rates like what we're seeing, doing what they're doing, not slowing down, then those kinds of scenarios just tend to increase probability. And look, to be fair, the, the Powell's stuck. I mean, the Fed is stuck. Sure. If he'd have hinted anything slightly remotely dovish in his conversation today. The market inflation perspective would have just ripped. We'd have seen oil just go through the roof. We'd have seen commodities fly. Everything would have just reflated even harder than what it already has. And that's not what they want. You know, that's, that's not the kind of action that they want to see. Thursday was also a very interesting day, only because the action leading into the Fed having their conversation uh, on Friday, which again, since this is a recording, was this morning, mm -hmm. uh, was an important tell in terms of what institutions might be positioning themselves for. 
The NASDAQ was very telling. Why? Because it traded literally right up to trend. It traded right to a level where, we, where one of two things were going to happen. It's either going to flip back bullish again, or it's going to fall apart. It literally touched it midday, almost to the dollar, and reversed and closed on the day's lows. That's not bullish action. That, remember, pros always knows. Somebody always knows something. Somebody always knows what's going to be said by the people who matter, right? Like it or not, that's the world that we live in today. And that's how the money is being run. And so when I see action like that on a day before a pivotal, critical conversation from the guy who controls the purse strings, that tells me something's not right. So then we get the action on uh, this morning, Friday morning, after the conversation says all the things that I just mentioned, nothing has changed, rates higher for longer. That, that's essentially what he's saying. And, uh, and, and the market doesn't do anything. It just sits. It, it's kind of like, hey, that shark was in the water and it just chopped off the bottom half of whatever was swimming. And now it's just bobbing in the ocean waiting for the rest of it to get bit. That's what it looks like to me, right? That's what it looks like. The NASDAQ has created from a technical perspective this channel. Now, it's hard to depict on the radio, and I'm going to give you the best uh, visual that I can. But if you think about how the NASDAQ has traded from cycle peak, which is November of 2021, through midday today, NASDAQ is down about 17%. The NASDAQ had a bottom that got put in place, which is essential for understanding how a bear market rally works in October. Market has had a heck of a strong rally. It then peaked on July 19th with a lower high literally on the last day of July, July 31st. Good indication that institutions were starting to sell into that. Well, then now it's gone down pretty hard. In fact, for the month of August so far, the NASDAQ is down about 6%. Since that has happened, since the July 31st lower high, and since the low that was put in intra-channel, which happened to be on August the 18th, we can kind of draw these lines or these railroad tracks that are sloping downward to the right. If I look at that, what that tells me is that traders all look at the same thing and they see, oh, the bottom level of that train track is about 13,000. That's about 500 points below where the current NASDAQ sits. I don't like talking in points. I like talking in percentages. That's about another 4.3% lower from where it currently sits. Okay. So the question becomes, could that happen? Yep, it could. Hmm. Conversely, the level that it might want to tap and test one more time is that trend level, which is at about 13,800, which on the upside is about 3%. So you can see what I mean, like sitting on the edge of a cliff, just looking and contemplating at the beautiful river, wondering if you should jump in and cool off or if you should just get off of the, the get off of the uh, uh, mountain cliff and start climbing again. It may be a terrible analogy, but that's exactly where it stands. But with all of the fundamentals that are happening outside of price, it's giving us indications that things just keep looking weird, right? 2% mm -hmm. is their target, and the only way they're going to get there is softer employment. When you get softer employment, people don't have money. We live in a consumer-driven economy. If they don't have money and aren't spending, 
That affects margins, which affects earnings, which affects stock prices. Savings are almost depleted, right? Sure. Most people really don't have an understanding of the extent to which COVID savings blew through the roof. It's just like everybody ended up with piles of cash all of a sudden. <laughs> Employee retainer credits and, and all the stuff that was going on, right? It was, sure. it was pretty big. But all of those, quote, COVID savings are kind of now at a point where they're almost completely depleted. And so we've got that as a potential headwind, right as, at the same time, we're staring down student loan repayments restarting. Now, here's something that I think is important on student loans, because it affects spending in a big way. The people who tend to spend money the most, whether you're in a recession or out of a recession, are those people who have money. Now, that might seem you know, elementary, sure. right? Yep. But at the end of the day, the people who are the higher income earners are going to likely spend however their lifestyle has been running, whether there's recession or not. They may mm -hmm. pull back on a few things, but for the most part, they'll keep living. What a lot of people don't recognize is the extent to which student loans will likely impact the high income earners. If you take a look at the data, doctors and dentists have on average between $175,000 and $200,000 in student loans. And that's, that's based on current data. Their median income is about one hundred and fifty dollars to 175000 a year. So, of course, lots and lots and lots of doctors are way ahead of that, including dentists. And then, of course, there are some that are below that. But that's the median. Lawyers and pharmacists, they have between one hundred and ten and one hundred and thirty thousand in student loans. And again, similar income ranges. If you've got a two hundred thousand dollars student loan, you're looking at resuming a monthly payment of about two thousand to twenty five hundred bucks a month. Now, look, I don't care who you are. The reality is, is that if you now factor back into your budget a two thousand to twenty five hundred dollar a month payment on something that you haven't been paying for a few years. It's going to make some adjustments. It, it, it yeah. just is. So a significant slowdown in spending is very, very likely. And in fact, if that happens, that of course has an impact on economic activity. It has an impact on economic growth. It has an impact on GDP. Of course, it has an impact on earnings for the companies that, uh, that, that people would be changing their spending habits on. So we've got all that going on, yeah. right? Yep. The market is set up in a way where heading into September, heading into October, remember, September happens to be, seasonally speaking, the weakest month of the year. Now, this whole year has thrown tons of things on its head. <laughs> this whole cycle has thrown tons of things on its head. No doubt about it. So could all of a sudden we just rip higher in September? Maybe. But what I know is that if markets close green today, it just increases the chance that we see a little bit more of a short squeeze where people that have gone short, heavily short, have to cover those shorts to not be in a position where they get completely land-bested again. Hmm. If it closes red, well, now things really start to change because that ushers in the possibility that all of a sudden, instead of 2001, now I've talked about this a lot, the conditions and characteristics of the market in terms of the drop that took place in 2022, the bear market rally that's now taken place since October is very similar to exactly what we saw in 2001 heading into 2002. We had this big drop. We had a 
40% bear market rally. We had a 40, 50% drop to ultimately for the NASDAQ, a 78% drop in value from peak to trough, start to end of that bear market, mm -hmm. right? Yep. The major differences, of course, is the extent of the debt that's in the system. But more importantly than that, the growth, the, the, the change, the rate of change of interest rates. It's not just the change in interest rates being five, six, seven times higher than what it was back then. The fact is that it's moved so quickly. Historic change, rate of change for interest rates. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a big difference than what we saw back in 2001. And so all of a sudden, some of the conditions that were existing in, two, in 1987 start coming into play. Now, whether people like it or not, they have to recognize that options players are controlling a lot of the movement of the market. And that's not super healthy. It moves fast, lots and lots and lots of major traders with big amounts of money, moving markets with zero day to expiration options. They literally buy an option in the morning. And if they don't do something with it before the close, it expires worthless. Hmm. <laughs> that generates some volatility. Yeah. And when I said you're in that negative gamma environment, it increases the probability of increased volatility. And so you just start to factor all this stuff. You know, there's a lot of negativity going on from a geopolitical perspective. There's a lot of negativity happening from the perspective of money supply. People are getting squeezed. They're really getting tired of the cost of living. Yeah. Rents are going up. Groceries are higher. Gas in your car is higher. I mean, all these things are affecting the middle class and they're affecting them in a really big way. And that's important because if you continually negatively impact the middle class in our country, it's hurtful to any kind of sustainable growth. So I'm literally at a point where I sit back and say, all right, this is at a point where it could go either way. And going into the close today is going to be very important on how we as a firm handle our positions for our clients. We were slightly net short heading into the market this morning. And over the last couple of days, we've actually made money while markets have been getting hammered. The S&P is down about 4% for the month of August. NASDAQ's down about 6%. Small caps, Internet, uh, Russell 2000, down about 8%. But importantly, from cycle peak until now, small caps are still down 24%. NASDAQ's down 17%. S&P's down about 8 8.5%. The cycle is not over. It's just cycling. And when you have a Federal Reserve contracting monetary policy, telling everybody again what they've been saying for months, rates higher for longer, target inflation 2%, we're not going to get there without softening employment. All that's telling everybody is that, okay, look, maybe you should think about the kind of risk that you're taking with your investment portfolio. And no more important is this noticed than what took place in NVIDIA on Thursday. Uh -oh. And I think that's an important quick conversation when we get back from a break, because uh, I can tell we need one. Yeah, I'll <laughs> ask you. I'll ask you about that. I'm also looking forward to a very other always interesting, but Monday morning's email should be especially interesting. As always, we talk with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Speaking of that email, if you become a client, Chris will give you a daily update and a nice little email every single day. It's a fantastic uh, update of what's been going on. Learn more about Chris and the team. All you got to do is head on over to the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Even better, pick up the phone this morning. Give Chris a call. Start that conversation. 866-596-9886. That's 866 866- 
596-9886. Don't forget also, as you listen to the program this morning, maybe you're listening live on the radio or you're listening back to the podcast, don't forget you can share the podcast as well. Get this information out to friends and family available here at the station's website, also iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio available as well on your smart speaker. Again, that telephone number, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. We'll talk about that chip maker. We'll get the details next as Care For My Wealth continues here on Fox Sports 1070, The Game. This is Care for My Wealth right here on Fox Sports 1070. The game hanging out this Saturday morning with Chris Klein. Of course, Chris comes to us from Capstone Wealth Management, the website careformywealth.com. That's all one word, careformywealth.com. Not only some great information about Chris and the team on the website, get to know a little bit more about their Go Anywhere strategy. You can also listen back to the podcast there or at the station's website. Also available on iTunes, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app and on your smart speaker as well. And maybe your smart speaker has some chips made by NVIDIA inside. Who knows? And Chris, what do we need to know when it comes to those uh, chip makers? You mentioned some uh, some new numbers from, from NVIDIA. What's, what's the takeaway there? Yeah, so the reason why it's worth at least noting mm-hmm. is the way in which the stock traded, right? Interestingly enough, leading up to their earnings report that came out uh, it came out, uh, gosh, it was Wednesday after the close, I think it was. Days go by so fast for me. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was Wednesday after the close. And of course, everybody got super excited about it. And and I get it. They, the earnings numbers were great. Now, there are some out there that are suggesting that forensic accounting needs to take a look at this because of some possible shenanigans that were going on. I have no idea. I'm not a forensic accountant. I can't speak to that. But there is rumblings. Uh, as to some loans that were made to use for a stock buyback with BlackRock, uh, BlackRock involved and whatever. But lots of people were looking at the numbers and saying, holy smokes, that's a blowout. You got, you know, a 29% increase in, 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 uh, uh, from, from the estimate to the reporting on, on earnings. You got a 20% increase from estimate to reporting on, uh, on, on revenue, like 100% year-over-year year gain. It was an acceleration. Everything looks great, right? People mm. say, I've never seen anything like it. And I said, well, I have. Where? where? Cisco Systems, oh. right? Symbol CSCO. Cisco Systems tripled their revenue from 1997 to 2000. They went from $6.4 billion in revenue to $19 billion in revenue. And that was a function of the internet boom, just simply driving rapid network spending. And the stock just mooned. It went up like 10x. That's a lot, not not 10%, 10x. Do the math on that. You'll see what it means in terms of crazy. But then their revenue flatlined from 2000 to 2003 because the boom cooled off and Cisco System stock lost 70% in 2001 alone. Remember, 2001 was a bear market along with a bear market rally that was very similar to the one we're dealing with now. In 1999, Cisco Systems would state that every company, every data center in the world needs routers and switches, and they're going to buy ours. Sure. And everybody believed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody bought the stock. It was crazy. I remember it like it was yesterday. And today, what do we hear? We hear NVIDIA saying the exact same thing. All you got to do is replace router and switches with AI, artificial intelligence. In 2000, 
Cisco's PE ratio, price to earnings ratio, was 196. Today, NVIDIA's is 240. Now, I've noted how many times the bear market rally that's taken place now is very similar in terms of characteristics to that which took place in 2001, ultimately into 2002. And again, I'm not just saying that, oh, yep, this is it. This is the peak for NVIDIA. They're going to crater from here. But it's important to note that on Thursday of this week, when NVIDIA was trading for the first full day after the earnings were announced after the close on Wednesday, stock went straight up. It was up intraday into the high very quickly, you know, about six, almost 7%. Everybody thought, ah, this is it. Because why? They just had a whole bunch of upgrades. Analysts were falling over themselves. Oh, it's a, we're, we're raising our rating to $1,000 a share. We're raising our rating to $600 a share. Man, it was so reminiscent of what we remember in 2000 with companies like Qualcomm. I remember they were one of the first companies that analysts were falling over themselves to say, it's a $1,000 stock. Valuations don't matter anymore. It's a new era. Sounds very similar. Well, what happened by the close of yesterday? NVIDIA was flat. Now, if in the event it was a new era with a new world where all we have to think about is upside, 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 why would a company as important as NVIDIA, apparently, that's blowing the doors off of all growth and it's a new computing era, according to their CEO, why would they lose all their growth in that one day? Why would they lose 7% gain in one day? And it wasn't mom and pop, uh, you know, just selling the stock. It came in on like two times normal volume. You know, just, just on Thursday alone, the stock traded like 115 million shares. Ordinarily, it trades like 50 million, right? Mm -hmm. It's a big stock. It's an important company in tech. Am I saying that this could be a topping environment very similar to what we saw in 2001 with Cisco? Well, the conditions sure rhyme. It's never the same. You know, everybody says, oh, history repeats. No, it doesn't. It rhymes. It's never exactly the same. I wish it was. Man, it'd make my life so much easier if it would just repeat exactly like it was. It doesn't do that. But the stock action for a company this big with that big of a blowout number is not something that you would really want to see for the bulls to be in control. The last quarter that they had a blowout number was the previous quarter. The stock was up 24% in one day. And then from there into Thursday's uh, high point, stock was up another 37%. We didn't get that action. And today so far, again, if you're just tuning in, today's show happens to be recorded. It's midday on a Friday, so we don't have the data for the close yet. But midday, NVIDIA's stock is down another 4%. That's not the action you would want to see for the bulls to be in control of the environment with one of the companies that literally everybody was hanging their hat on. Mm -hmm. So it's just one more element to step back and say, okay, what's going on underneath the surface of all the price levels that is going on today? And again, it's such a volatile environment. I'm telling you. So VIX is trading, which is broad S&P, uh, broad market volatility is the way to look at VIX, V-I-X, right? Yeah. VIX is trading at 16, but I'm telling you the way markets are trading, it's trading like it's at 30. It's, it's literally up and down and back and forth, and they're just literally whipsawing all sorts of stuff. Again, that too is not a normal bull market. These are, these are the kinds of actions that you tend to see inside of a bear market rally that's getting long in the tooth. And, and some of these fundamentals 
are just starting to really play into it. You know, again, I talk about interest rates a lot, but interest rates are so important for interest rate sensitive kinds of things. Interest rate sensitive things are things that are duration sensitive, tech, utilities, bonds, all that stuff. If interest rates stay elevated, because the Fed has said rates higher for longer, inflation's not dead, we got to get it down to 2%, can't do that unless we see a higher rate of unemployment. If that's the case, then technology is at some point going to break. Mm -hmm. Did we see it break this month? Yeah, we did. Is it in the midst of this downward trending channel now? Yes, it is. Is it bearish trend below a certain level of, of value that we would call trend? Yes, it is. So all of those indications continue to tell us that caution is important right now at this level of the market. The three-month treasury yield is, uh, is and the three-month is important. You know, the short-term treasury data is important, but the three-month treasury is up to 5.48% today. It hit a high of 5.58%, and that was the highest level since December of 2000. You know, mm. call me crazy, but there's just a couple more rhyming incidences that go on. One other element that I think's interesting, if not important, mm -hmm. new bull markets tend to have lots of speculative activity where people just get nuts about everything, right? So you've had this creation uh, that has occurred over the past several years called a SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. Okay. <laughs> it's des it's designed to try and make going public as a company a little easier. All right, fine. Well, SPACs are super speculative and lots and lots of SPACs opened up in 2021. And when that was a raging bull market, they went straight up. I mean, they just were nuts, right? Mm -hmm. So this week on Wednesday, we had a SPAC that delisted and ended up going public. Now that's the objective. The SPAC buys this company, it works on it, it then takes it public. Okay, it's a little easier than for that company to actually go through the process of an IPO, but it's very similar. Well, what happened to a company by the name of Better.com, which by the way is a mortgage-backed company, it's backed by SoftBank, it went public uh, on Wednesday, and its stock was down a mere 93%. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's not the action you would typically see in a raging bull market for speculative type investments, right? Mm. These things go underneath the radar. This isn't the stuff you're going to turn on CNBC and they'll go, oh, yeah, look at this spec is completely obliterated today. Now, somebody may have said it somewhere. I don't know. I don't watch CNBC, but <laughs> chances are somebody may have alluded to it somewhere because it was so <laughs> jaw-dropping, right? Yeah. That stuff is going on in the market as we speak, and it tends to have some effect in terms of how markets function. Apple Computer, super valuable company, mm -hmm. very important to markets because it's a big component of a lot of the indexes. On Thursday, the stock popped up towards this trend level and did a high tail reverse down about 2.6%. Today, so far, it's up about a half a percent, and there's no volume. Nobody's buying it. Going into the weekend, in most cases, most institutional traders with all of the things that are happening institutionally, below the surface of price, with volatility, geopolitically, they're not really interested in taking on a lot of risk, at least based on the way we're seeing things trade right now. Now, could we squeeze a little bit higher? Yeah, we could. 
We absolutely could. And what would that look like? That would look like the S&P 500 from where we're sitting right now today, maybe having an upside of about one, one and a half percent. Wouldn't surprise me if that happened. And then all of a sudden it just falls apart, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing on the NASDAQ. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if all of a sudden the NASDAQ decided it's going to squeeze people one more time, move up 2%, take out all the, the shorts, just clobber the bears one more time because they got to cover the shorts and then they just kill all the bulls. Mm. It's, it's, just been an, it's just how markets have been trading this ridiculous cycle. Same thing with small caps, same thing with the Dow. In all of these indexes are acting very much the same way where they've broken through some very important levels of support. They've broken through trend within a trending bear market. They're in negative gamma. They then want to have this little bitty rally back up to some important moving average levels that lots and lots and lots and lots of people look at. And then when those get taken out, it, it, things just get weird. Things can get ugly. And things can can act like they're just going to take off on you again. And so FOMO, fear of missing out, mm -hmm. sets in. Oh, look, it was the correction in August. That was our buy opportunity. We needed to get levered long again. <sighs> the cycle's not over. That's all I know. Mm. The cycle is not yet over, not with the conditions that currently exist. And, and, and I'll leave you with this one, one thought here, at least for this, uh, this piece. Mm -hmm. People tend to think that when the Fed pauses their interest rate hikes or ultimately starts cutting rates, that, man, that's awesome. The pain is finally over. The real fireworks happen once they start cutting interest rates because that's a tacit, maybe very outward <laughs> uh, uh, explanation to markets that uh, things aren't as good as we think. We sure. got to cut rates. That's what happens. So be careful what you wish for. I get that we probably would love to have a lower interest rate environment for lots of reasons, not the least of which is the housing market, uh, not the least of which is uh, the ability to see a higher degree of transactions that, that uh, uh, I'm sure lots of people would love to have in the housing market again. I, but you know, we're not going to go straight down in most cases, and, and, and we're still getting speculative things happening. You've heard of Zillow before, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zillow came out this week and said, hey, we're going to offer 1% down payments. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a great idea. Let's just lever up people even higher at some of the highest interest rates that we've seen for mortgages in you know, almost a generation since early 2000. Yeah. But it's happening, right? Again, the speculative excesses that exist in markets aren't gone. The Fed knows that. Markets know that. And so... I'm just very cautious about where we're at right now from a portfolio construction standpoint, because we are nimble and we can make moves pretty quickly. I just kind of want to be fairly neutral midday hmm. and watch what's taking place. And if it looks like markets want to get squeezed a little bit higher from here, okay. But I think that that squeeze comes to a lower high and then it's, it, we, just, we just end up doing August all over again at least to this point. So we'll see. <laughs> Talking this morning with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Yeah, history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. I think uh, they credit Mark Twain. I think there's some dispute about who actually originally came up with it. But as we're seeing things right now, what's going on? Eh, not exactly the same, but definitely some of those signs. Chris mentions, of course, a nimble strategy. And of course, their go anywhere strategy as well at Capstone Wealth Management. Today is the day to start that conversation as we're seeing and 
hearing and we've been we've been following this past month, these past few months, actually, um, what we've been leading up to it. It's a very important time to start that conversation. Get educated. Learn more. Again, the website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Chris has a ton of great information up there for you to get to know Chris and the team at Capstone Wealth Management. The telephone number 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Email info at careformywealth.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at careformywealth.com. Chris, got just about uh, two minutes actually left in the in the show this week, and it just flies by as always. But real quick, uh, we talk about Capstone Wealth Management and what you guys do. Um, you really are going, and as, as this week is a recorded program, people um, may not realize this, but uh, it's good that you're able to take this time because typically during uh, during the, the business day, during the, the week, you are going and going. This is stuff that you're on top of. This isn't the type of work that you that you send off somewhere else. You're managing it, Capstone Wealth Management. You are right there managing these these portfolios, aren't you? Yeah, uh, I am. Myself and my team are making uh, all the decisions with uh, respect to how we feel markets are going to function, uh, and then adjust accordingly based on what's happening. And I can tell you right now, just because of August. Uh, and what's uh, what's taken place in August alone, with just the the massive amount of volatility that we uh, anticipated would more likely than not take place, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it it's you just had to position for that as best as you could. Now, as I said, so month so far for the month of August, the S and P five hundred's down about four percent, Nasdaq's down about six. Uh, so far for the month of August, I we're about flat to up slightly. Um, uh, slightly like you know 25 30 basis points it's a function of trying to institute risk management into the portfolio and 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 so that just means that when markets are imploding and down 40 50% we're not going to be anywhere near that type of situation mm-hmm. we're going to do our best to protect against the downside and then once that flips and the market actually starts trending in a real bull market start working with it right mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, you're not going to get returns like, oh, 80% upside. We don't want the volatility. Yeah, is that great to get a return like that? Yeah, that's great. And everybody on Twitter that says, oh, we're up 50% for the year. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. I- I'm sorry. If they are, they're lucky or ignorant or both. I don't know, right? Yep. That's not to suggest you don't have some really, really, really important or smart hedge fund managers that can do that out there. Our objective is risk management. Our objective is to get you reasonable returns without piles of volatility, maintaining good portfolios into and through retirement. And to do that, I don't care where we invest. What's important is that it's an asset class consistent with where we are in the cycle. To me, it's just a ticker. I don't care about it. It doesn't matter. What matters is can we protect the portfolio while at the same time finding some things that will generate some gains. So this month, I mean, our our portfolios, and I can say this because I manage my own family's assets mm-hmm. the exact same way on the same platform, doing the same things. The difference for me, if I'm taking more risk, is I might use leverage for myself, whereas for a client that wants to be conservative, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't do that. That would be crazy. We would just buy the same positions, but just in smaller amounts. We've got a lot of cash like 60, 65% cash generating annual returns of about 5%. Our next largest position is gold Hmm. because real rates have got to the point where they will ultimately crack. And when they crack and go lower, gold will go up and it will go up hard, right? 
So we're waiting for that. So yeah, you're right. Our objective is risk management, helping people go through a process of minimizing the stresses on the downside, while at the same time, doing our best to help work through a bull market when it starts again and generate decent returns. And, and that'll come. There'll be a day where I'm not Debbie Downer and, and feeling like uh, everybody's, you know, saying I never say anything positive. There, there will come a day where it's very positive. <laughs> you can go back and listen back to those, you know, for somebody that wants to kind of get caught up, you can listen back actually to a couple of years ago. And of course, uh, you and I have been doing this show together for a while and you've been on the radio, the airwaves here for, for many, 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 I'm going to say like I'm aging you, Chris, but many years you've been you on are. <laughs> you can You can listen back. You worked hard to make that money. You want to protect your capital. Chris is here to do that for you and work with you. He'd love to get to know you. Today is an important day. Pick up that phone. Give Chris a call. Don't let another week slip by. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Again, the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. One more time with the number, 866 596 9886. Chris, it's always great talking with you, my friend. You enjoy this beautiful weekend. Thank you so much. You do the same. This is Care for My Wealth right here. Fox Sports 1070, The Game.